Do you, do you have any idea why I'm holding this pot? Because it's empty. Let me ask you something. Are you empty today? I mean really empty. Is there anything left in you that prevents God from filling? I mean, if I, I could put anything in this, I could put paper, I could put a flower, I could put money, I could put, I could put sin in it if it were me, if it was my vessel. You see, you are a vessel. And until you get empty of all the stuff that takes up space for the presence of God, the presence of God can't live in you in his fullness. There has to come a time in your life where you take this vessel and you turn it upside down and you empty everything out. But what happens is we walk around with our vessel and we, you know, but I, I really like, I really like that pornography. You know, my wallet's in there and I, and I really want to hold on to everything I have because I don't know what if God doesn't come through. You know, I'm, I'm looking in there and I see some unforgiveness. And I don't want to give my unforgiveness up because what would I do with my anger, my hate, and my resentment? Where would I put it if I don't carry it around in my vessel? And after a while, the vessel gets heavy and it gets clumsy and it, you don't know what to do with it because it's just not meant to carry that stuff. See, you were never designed by God to carry stuff that you don't need. You're only designed to be a vessel for the master to fill in the fullness of the Spirit of God so that you can walk in newness of life and walk in power and energy and excitement that comes from God and God alone. So I want you through this message, I want you just to be asking your question, this question, is there something inside my vessel that I need to get rid of today? If I could just get rid of it today, what a difference that would make in my life. How much joy I would have. There's a quote that I found from Oswald Chambers. It's so good. I, I just wanted to, to share it with you. It goes like this. Leave the broken, irreversible past in God's hands. You see, there's stuff in your life that's broken that's bringing you down. There's stuff in your life that's making you feel guilty. There's stuff in your life that, that is distracting you from what God really wants to do in your life. And you've got to leave it because it's broken. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out, it's irreversible. You trying to remember all the details of it, feel guilty about it, thinking about all the regrets, it doesn't make it go away. It only brings it to the surface and makes it worse. So you got to leave it, and then what you want to do is you want to step into what God is doing, and that is the invincible future with God. I don't know if you thought about this, but God dwells in the eternal now. Now, if you can get a hold of this truth, it's going to be really powerful for you. God doesn't live or dwell in the past. God dwells in the eternal now. God is always present tense. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, you know, God in the eternal past. There is no eternal past. Eternity is always present tense. That's why God is always aware of you and what's going on in your life. 
He gave us time, past, present, and future, so we can orient ourselves in the world, but God doesn't operate that way. That's why God can always see you, know you, live out his life in you in the present tense. In the Old Testament, there was this uh, group of people called the tribe of Israel, and they were 40 day, or 40 years wandering in the wilderness, right? And they were grumbling, they were griping, they were going through all this stuff. And what they didn't understand was that God was providing for them on a daily basis. They needed food, and they said, we need food. They were cried out to God, and God sent what was called manna, bread from heaven. The word manna in the Hebrew literally means, what is it? You ever had a dinner like that? What is it, right? I don't know what it is, but I'm hungry. I guess I'll eat it, right? Okay, what is it? So God brought the what is it down to earth, and they're looking at it, and guess what? Jesus is the bread of heaven, and people said, who is he? And they had to realize that in order to live their life, they had to live daily dependently upon Jesus, just like you had to live daily dependent upon the manna that would come every day, because it would, it would vanish, and all of a sudden there would be more manna that would come the next day. Later, God would send quail, would send meat, and they would fill themselves up. But God said, only eat and take enough for the day. Don't store it up. But some of them thought, what if God doesn't come through? It's the same kind of mentality that says, well, I don't really want to offer my offering to God and my tithes to offering because what if God doesn't come through? See, Israel didn't, didn't want to do that, some of them, so they kept the quail and they held it back. And then when they ate it the next day, they got sick. You see, you'll get sick when you eat that which belongs to God. And you won't know how to diagnose the problem because you'll just blame God for it. You see, in some of your vessels, you got down in there, you got a Bible. You got a Bible in your vessel. You say, well, isn't, shouldn't it be in there? No, because the Bible to you represents what God didn't do for you. And you're mad at God, you're angry at God, and every time you see the Bible or see church, you, you're just reminded, well, where was God when I was going through this or going through that? How come God didn't come through for me? Oh, he did, but you were so caught up in the bitterness of the moment, you couldn't see the hand of God. Now, here's what I want you to understand is that you can live under an open heaven or a closed heaven. Under the open heaven, what God is doing, he's pouring out his, his blessings on the vessels, your life, so that you receive all that he has for you. But in a closed heaven, God is sending blessings, but what's happened is you've created this barrier, and so that you're not getting anything that's coming from God in the way that he wants to bless you. You're not seeing his hand operate and work in your life. Well, we want to change that. Here's what I found out is that desperation, now watch this, desperation will set you up for a miracle. You ever been desperate? You ever like said, oh man, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Have you ever said that? I don't know what I'm going to do. What's wrong with that question? It assumes that you have the power to fulfill the problem in your life. You better say, I wonder what God is going to do. You see how different that is? I wonder what God is going to do. It's not, I wonder, will God do anything? No, I wonder what God will do in this situation. We have to reorient the way that we think and we look from things from a perspective, from a Godward perspective instead of a manward perspective. So I want to tell you a story about a, a woman whose husband died. She was in a desperate situation. She had two boys. She was so out of money that she was going to have to sell them into slavery just to pay off her debts. That's a desperate moment, wouldn't you say? 
All right, let's look at it. 2 Kings chapter 4, a certain woman of the wives of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your, your servant feared the Lord. Now, I don't know what you heard in that statement that she made, but I heard a lot of things. I heard desperation. I heard sorrow. I heard a little bit of guilt. Heard a little bit of victim mentality. Heard a little bit of pity. Let me ask you something. Are any of those things coming out of your mouth today? A little desperation, a little guilt, a little pity. Now, I love the way the prophet responded. Look what he says. And then she goes on to say, and the creditor is coming. If that's not bad enough, don't you feel bad, Elisha? Don't you feel bad? If that's not bad enough, the creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. And Elisha said, what do you want me to do for you? You know what he could have done? Oh, man, that's bad. I know. I knew somebody went through that and their kids went to jail and they didn't ever get out. You ever had friends count you like that? Right? You go and you say, I don't know what I'm going to do, and you begin to tell your problem. They go, yeah, and bad things come in threes. I'm going, I don't need to hear that. Right? I mean, go away. I don't need friends like you, all right? And so he said, what do you want me to do? He didn't, he didn't try to play up to her pity, didn't play up to her guilt, didn't try to say, what do you want me to do? God is looking you in the eye right now and he's saying, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you and you and you and you? What do you want me to do? I hear all the pity. I hear all the sorrow. I hear all the desperation. What do you want me to do? Pray. Seek. Find God in those desperate moments. Leverage yourself into the kingdom. Begin to see what God can do as he opens up the way for you. You see, God is in the business of doing that. What you're going to find out is there's three things that are going to be important. One is time. One is location. And one is people. And we're going to come back to that throughout this message so that you kind of get a feel for what we're talking about when we say that. Now, look what he says. What do you want me to do? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, I have nothing. Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Oh, you got something. You got oil. Oil is a picture in the Bible of the Holy Spirit of God. It's an emblem of his power and of his anointing. You got presence in your house, the presence of God in your house. You got some oil. I don't know what the history on that oil was. Maybe your father, maybe your, I mean, maybe your, your husband, maybe he went out and he anointed kings with that oil. Maybe he anointed prophets with that oil, but that oil is special. You got oil, you got plenty. And let me ask you something. If you spend your life looking at what you don't have, have you spent any time looking at what you do have? What's in the house? What's in your house? What do you have? God wants you to look at that and look at it carefully. Let me tell you a story. Uh, uh, last week, it was, uh, actually it was August 3rd. August 3rd, I get a text from two people in our church, a husband and wife, and his name is Peter, and Peter says, Pastor, could you pray with me? Could I meet you at church? And I, and I said, absolutely, I'll meet you at the prayer wall. I didn't ask him what the problem was. didn't matter what the problem was. 
I actually think people who spend so much time explaining their problem, it takes them longer to get an answer from God. Because they're so intricate in all the details of what's wrong that they don't have any time left to pray. You see, you get consumed with the problem and you never go to the solution or you, don't, or you just kind of tip your hat to the solution. So anyway, so he says, come on. I said, come on up. So we're sitting there and we're sitting on those couches that are out there in the front. And uh, I said, let's just, uh, let, let, let's tell me what's going on. And he began to tell me, he said, I have colon cancer. And as he talked to me and he said, I have this terrible pain in my side, I can hardly walk. Now I had two choices right then. I could say, man, that's bad, I've had a pain. That doesn't sound good. Doctor gave you a bad report. God, just help him have a couple of good days before he dies. I could have. And you'll hear those kind of prayers out of people all the time. They're comfort prayers. They comfort the one telling you, but don't comfort the one who's sick. And I sensed in my spirit, you see, you have a human spirit where the Holy Spirit lives. And I sensed in my human spirit that there was more issues than healing. And I began to see if he really knew the Lord. Had he really been saved? And I began to talk to him, and by the time that conversation progressed, he was praying and receiving Christ into his life. That day, last week, he prayed and received Christ. Isn't that good news? Amen. So we prayed, and then I prayed for his healing. I just prayed like I always pray. I pray, God, heal him. We pray, heal the sick. I'm just praying for him. And uh, then I got this text on August 12th, and I talked to him. I said, can I share this with the church? He said, absolutely. And here's what he says, and I quote, I waited one full week to get all the results before reporting to you after my CAT scan and preliminary finding. We had a Thursday consultation and Friday colonoscopy, and all biopsies were negative, and my colon looked, according to the doctor, quote, unquote, excellent. And then he said, oddly, my pain completely disappeared since the day I visited you, and I feel extremely blessed. Thank you again for praying with us and turning my life around. Can you put your hands together for that good report? Now watch what happened. Watch what happened. He found Christ, the pain went away, and the doctor experienced a miracle, and so did he. You see, when you live under an open heaven, things happen that are unexplainable. If you've been here very long, you know that this is almost like a pattern. It happens all the time. We report to you almost every week some miracle from God from this place. Tomorrow morning, TBN is coming, and they're going to be shooting a TV special at our, at our prayer wall, and we're going to be getting testimonies because it caught their attention, and they said there's so many miracles happening here in this prayer wall movement that we want to capture them. Can I ask you, would you just pray for that, for that, that day of shooting and, and pray, God, that as we, uh, as we put this together that it will begin to move its way through people's lives and we'll begin to see a movement of prayer that will happen, a prayer wall movement, not just in our church but in churches around the world. We'll begin to see the overflowing, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God everywhere we go. 
that we're going to begin to see miracles that people outside the expression of faith are going to be looking and going, well, I don't know what's going on, but that's a miracle and I want to be a part of that because I've been going to church for a long time, listening to a sermon, hearing music, and I never saw God show up. If God can show up, I want to be a part of that. Amen? Because I don't want to just be a part of religion. I want to be a part of what God is doing. When God outpours his spirit, I want to be there. I like to say you got to get under the spout when the water comes out. Amen? You want to get under that spout because there is a time when God begins to move. There is a place where God begins to move, and there is a people upon whom God begins to move. You have to ask yourself, is this my time? Is today the time that I want to begin to see God do something in this place, this location, with me as a person that stands before God? Let me show you a, a couple of truths as we uh, kind of drill down into this. Difficulty re reveals your unrealized potential. When you have a difficulty, do not say, oh, me. Don't fall into despair. You go, I got a, man, I got a difficulty. Man, I am prime. I am primed for a miracle. You know what that does? It changes your, your mind, your spirit, your soul, your perspective, but it also quiets the enemy who's saying to you, yeah, you're not going to make it. Yeah, you, you, I told you that. I told you that. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that's always pointing the finger going, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. You see, challenges are necessary to realize your destiny. If you're going to be where God wants you to be, you're going to have some challenges. Wouldn't you all agree that those tough lessons you learned in life, you remember? You look back and you go, man, I don't want to go through it again, but I'll tell you what, I grew. I got closer to God. I, I understood his word in a better way. So those challenges were actually your friends, not your enemies. You see, and here's the other thing I found out is that courage has a memory. When I go through something and God comes through, I get more courageous, and it's got a memory. And what I want to do is I want to fall back on the memory and go, God, I remember you came through once, you're going to come through again. You're no respect of purpose, what, uh, persons. What you did yesterday, you can do again what you did in somebody else's life. You can do in my life, and I've got courage is a memory inside of me. So it strengthens me, and when I'm strong, you know what? I strengthen you, and when you're strong, you strengthen me. That's why we need community. That's why we need one another, because guess what? Not everybody's going to be up all the time. Amen? So when you're down, I better be up. If I'm down, I'm expecting you to be up. If there's two sad sacks show up together on the same day, run. One of you run. Amen? I got to get away from you. I got to go find somebody else. You, and I suggest you do exactly the same because we don't want to get two people down all at the same time not trusting God. Okay, enemies multiply when the stakes are high. Now watch what happens. When you start getting close to God, guess what? You ever notice how bad things kind of increase? Some people say, I don't even want to get close to God anymore. Every time I get close to God, it seems like I have more problems. That's right. That's a good thing. It is? I thought when I became a Christian, everything would be perfect. I thought it would all work out. Hey, do you remember? Jesus put the disciples in the boat, sent them across, and then created a storm. He created the storm. It says they were very fearful, right? They were very fearful. And then all of a sudden, they wake Jesus up. Hey, Jesus, we're going to perish. We're all going to die and drown. These are seasoned fishermen. 
They're in the Lake of Galilee. They're the Sea of Galilee. They're not in like the Atlantic. They're in the Sea of Galilee, and they go, we're going to perish. What are we going to do? Jesus, wake up. And he wakes up. He looks around and go, waves and wind, be quiet. And it says it was calm, and it says then they were extremely afraid. See, it's, it, you can get scared in a storm, but when you find out God is in your boat, you get even more afraid. Amen? Oh, no. And they go, what manner of man is this? that even the wind and the waves obey his voice. Hey, guess what? He's the God who lives in you. And he'll live in you in his fullness if you'll get the pot empty. you got to shake the pot upside down. You've been thinking about some stuff in there? If you don't know what it is, I guarantee your wife or your best friend knows what's in there. They can tell you. I'll just say, hey, do you know anything that's in the pot? Can you just help me understand and identify and point it out? Huh? Got quiet. God, quiet. I taught in a seminary in the deep south, and, and uh, the, the guys would get up and they would practice sermons. And this guy got up and he said, uh, I'm going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. You know, when you just hear that, it scares you, right? Judgment seat of Christ. And he says this. He says, God, God got a 16, mil- 16 millimeter film of your life. Mm-hmm. And on Judgment Day, he's going to show it. And he ain't going to serve no popcorn on that day. I don't know about you. I'm sitting in the audience hearing the sermon, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to go to that first showing, amen? No thank you for the premiere uh, showing of that movie. Okay, so enemies get high. Okay, now watch this. You are the only limit to the abundance that God wants to bring in your life. The only one standing in the way is you. You say, well, yeah, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my son. You don't know my daughter. You don't know my employer. Victim, victim, victim. Pity, pity, pity. God's going, you know what? I'm just going to close off the heavens with that kind of talk until they figure it out. Because that's not how I operate. My kingdom doesn't work that way. My kingdom works this way. God, I want to thank you for what's going on in my life. I don't understand it, don't like it, but I praise you. Because I know that the first, the, the best route for me to get the open heaven and get the flow started is to begin to rejoice in the Lord. In all things, rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Let's go to the story, 2 Kings chapter 4. Look what he says. Then he said, okay, he says to the woman, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get some vessels. I want you to get them from everywhere. I mean, I want you to go up and down every road. I want you to get vessels from all your neighbors, but they got to be what kind of vessels? Let's say it louder. What? It, uh, come on now. What? They got to be empty vessels. I need some empty vessels in the house. Amen. Okay, so I need some empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Did you notice he didn't tell her how many to get? He said, just don't get a few. He could have said, hey, get two dozen, three dozen, four dozen. He said, no, just don't get a few. You get to decide how much abundance God brings in your life by the amount of vessels you bring into your life and how empty they are. You see, the problem was she only had a little bit of oil. If there was something in the vessel, then that little bit of oil was contaminated and then it wasn't going to fill up because God's not going to fill you up if you've got contamination in your heart. You've got to confess your sins before the Lord. 
you got to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so God can fill it up. Well, let's go on with the story. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it out unto all those vessels and set aside the full ones. He said, go shut the door. Remember when Jesus said praying? He said, when you pray, go into your prayer closet and do what? All right, let's say that together. What? Shut the door. You got to shut the door. Why did he want her to shut the door? But notice she brought in her two sons. Hey, you come in here. You're getting ready to see a miracle. They'd bring a vessel. She'd pour it, fill up. She'd set it aside. I can just see the scene. One guy, one kid, is, he's in charge of taking the full ones and setting them aside, and the other one's got bringing another empty one. And here they are going on. You know what she was doing? She was establishing a spiritual legacy in the life of her sons. She was showing them what God was up to. Had they not been in the room, they wouldn't have seen the hand of God. She wanted what, what was happening there, the prophet, what was happening there, to go on for a lifetime. We just had our two little uh, grandsons, Crosby and Cruz, just surprised how brilliant they are. They are. They're just, grandkids are just better people. They're smarter. It's because they skip a generation. Some of you will catch that in a minute. But they were away on vacation, and little Crosby stuck his foot into the spokes. He was riding on the bike with his daddy, and he stuck his foot in the spokes, had to go to emergency, got this little bandage on his little foot. He just crawls around. You know, I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm going to get him a card, that, you know, one of those cardboard cards that say, you know, we'll work for money or something. You know, he's just dragging around. I said, look at him. I said, get up and walk. I can't, Papa. I can't. My foot hurts. I said, just be healed, Jesus' name. We got a video. Little Crosby. Guess what he was doing? He was walking. You say, well, that's just intimidation. Hey, if your foot hurts, you ain't walking on it. You know what that was? That's legacy. Instead of looking at the problem, he looked at the solution. He looked at, well, why can't God heal you? I guess he can. He's four years old. God can heal anybody. Amen? you gotta, you got to pass that on. Because, see, here's the deal. Honor precedes blessings. If you don't honor the Lord, you're not going to get the blessings. If you don't honor one another, you're not going to get the blessings. You dishonor someone when you speak ill against them. That's dishonor. And you're cursing the ground they walk on, and you're cursing the ground you walk on. There is an effect. You cannot, you will not get away with it. Everything you sow, you will reap. You'll either reap it now, you'll reap it later, but you will reap it. See, people don't realize when they talk, when they even speak bad about themselves, they're cursing their own ground. They're just saying, I don't, I hate the ground, I hate my life, I'm cursing it, I'm cursing it instead of bringing blessing. You're getting the anointing of Satan on that moment instead of the anointing of God on that moment. You get to choose which God you serve. No man can be double-minded. The Bible says you'll either love God or you'll, you'll, uh, or love money. You'll either, you'll either hate, hate money or love God, but you can't love both. You see, the Bible says in the book of James that let not the double-minded man think he will receive anything from the Lord. He will be like the, the waves tossed in, to and fro. You ever tried to count a wave, watch a wave? I'm just keep your eye on one wave. It's my goal. I'm going to the beach today. I'm going to watch one wave. You can't do it because it instantly sinks. 
and another one rises up. He says that's what faith is like sometimes, like a wave that comes up and you go, oh, yeah, I had faith. Oh, it's gone. Oh, I had faith. Oh, I had faith. And people say, I tried that. It didn't work. Tried that. Now, you know the problem is? problem is the vessel's got stuff in it, and you don't have the Holy Spirit in it. You got, well, how often do I have to do that? Every day, sometimes 40 times a day. Some of you 100. Amen? Right? Hey, you know what? Here's the problem. Christians leak. Amen? You get all filled up in church, you get out there, somebody pulls out in front of you and you leak. Right? There used to be a song, fill my cup, Lord, fill it up, right? And I can only imagine one of those little communion cups, you know, you got your little communion cup and you're running out to, the, to your car and then somebody honks at you. They're not honking at you, they're just honking, they hit their horn. Hey! Oh, darn it, I got to wait another week. I got to go back, I got to run back. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Okay, oh, got it. You leak. Every time you leak, you got to get filled. You see, the problem in, in that you, you lose some of that, the problem is you don't refill. You got to refill all the time, just refilling all the time, refilling it. Okay, now watch this. The Spirit of God flows from crushed people. You know, the most powerful weapon in the kingdom is humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God that in due season he might exalt you. Not false humility. See, self-pity is false humility. I love this scripture from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. It says, the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. There's a yoke you wear, heaviness you wear. Wears you down. He says, you know what, when I put the anointing oil on you, guess what, the yoke is broken. You think the yoke was broken on that lady's life? Man, she's got, I got vessels full of, you know what I bet she said? Why did I only get, and however many she had, let's say she had 50, why did I only get 50 vessels? Because the minute she stopped pouring, guess what? The oil stopped. It stopped. Don't focus on what God has done. Focus on what God is doing. What's God doing? Don't focus on what he hasn't done or what he's done in the past. Focus on what he's doing. And move in the direction of a miracle. You got to just move in the direction. You say, well, I'm moving in the direction of the problem. Then you will see the problem. The problem will get bigger. You move in the direction of the miracle. I'm just going to trust God for a miracle. Has he come through? Not yet. But I'm not going to move in that direction. You, you want to move in the direction of the problem? I Going over here, I, can't, I love the problem. Love the problem. I don't know why you guys got the problem side this today. All right? But if you, next week you'll sit over here. Go over here. I want the solution. I want to see God work over here. Amen. You in the middle of lukewarm, you just can't figure it out. You don't know what to do. I'm just, hey, I'm just having fun. Everybody laugh. Thank you for the courtesy laugh. Okay, now, let's look at it. 2 Kings chapter 4. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now, it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, hey, bring me another vessel. He said, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and she told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt. You and your sons will live on the rest. The divine provision of God. You know, we, we bought this building about a little over two years ago for $2.9 million. We didn't have $2.9 million. God just did a miracle. We were only 13 months old. I don't know if that registers to you what a miracle that one is. So here, watch what happens. So we buy it for 2.9, and in January it was appraised for 5.3 million dollars. Okay, 
Now that's a little over $2 million in equity that, that gained in this building over the course of about two years. So I was talking to some people, and I understand what, what they mean by this. People, when I tell them that, they'll say, well, boy, you really bought at the right time. No, I didn't. I never give the economy credit for what God does. Economy has nothing to do with this. There's a building right over there. It's selling for the same thing it was selling for two years ago. Economy has nothing to do with it. When you give credit to anyone or anything besides God, you diminish what God is going to do, and you begin to move from an open heaven to a closed heaven. Okay, you want to depend on the economy? Fine, I'll show you how the economy works. You will never have enough money. You'll never have a blessing. You'll, you know, you're going to live over here, and it's going to be all about you. Is that what you want? And then some people say, well, no, I, I only bring the big stuff to God because, you know, I can handle the little stuff. That's just pride. That self-abasement, self-pity stuff is just pride. And until God breaks that pride of you, say, you know, everything I have comes from him. Comes from the Father above in whom there is no variance, no shadow of turning. God is the supplier, period. He's the only one that gets my credit. Otherwise, that other stuff becomes an idol, I-D-O-L. The economy becomes the idol. You watch your stocks, it's an idol. I'm not saying you don't invest. And I'm not saying you don't make good investments. That's not where the blessings come from. The blessings always come from God. You always give God the credit. You see, only empty vessels are qualified. Let me ask you something. Are you empty today? Have you looked inside there and taken everything out? I want you to imagine now you've got your vessel. The vessel is your life, and you've got this moment where you get to step back and you get to look into your life. What do you see in there that is taking up space of the power of God? You look in there and you say, well, I, you know, I see a few things, and I don't really need those, so you take them out. But you look in there and you see some things you really like. You've kind of grown used to them, you know. God, I, I can give you everything but that. Okay, then set that pot aside, it says, in the kingdom of heaven, because that's, a, that's not an empty vessel yet. You see, the kingdom standard is when the invisible becomes visible, when we have that which is in heaven on earth. That's a kingdom standard. That's how it's supposed to work. Leonard Ravenhill said, when the church is not supernatural, it's superficial. I can't think of anything worse than going to church, evaluating the sermon, evaluating the music, determining if it was good or bad on that day, and never meeting God. If that's all I got out of church, I'd quit going. That's why Paul said, I did not come to you in eloquent words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith would not rest on man, but rest on God. That's the only place your faith is... It's not, it's not worthy anywhere else. And what happens is people become consumers. They become, become church consumers. They go, they say, we're going to go visit a bunch of churches. We're going to evaluate them. We're going to become a consumer. The one that, that, that is best, that that's one we're going to go to. Hey, since when did God operate that way in his kingdom? He operates by revelation. You should be here because God wants you here, not because it's got the best show in town. We might have the worst show in town. But you know God wants you here. Consumerism will kill you. 
Because you know what happens? It's, it rolls over into God. Then you begin to find gods that you like, and you begin to fashion God in your mind after your own image. And now your God, the God of your heart and your mind, is a God that you read into the Bible. He's not the God of the Bible, but he's a God you read into the Bible. And you can live with that God. He's the God that says commitment's not that important. And you worship that God. He's the God that says sacrifice isn't that important. And you worship that God because you like that God. That God conforms himself to your image instead of you conforming yourself to the image of God. And you live out your days content, and you think, wow, I, I love my God. It's not it is your God. It is your God. You have to decide if you're going to break from idols in your life and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, get the vessel clean so that you can walk in power and fullness of God and see the anointing and see the open, the open heavens flowing in your life. And you get to choose. You see, Jesus never made anybody comfortable. Did you ever notice that? Everybody was uncomfortable. The religious were uncomfortable. The lost were uncomfortable. The saved were uncomfortable. Everybody's uncomfortable. Can't you just make me feel comfortable? I could, but I, get you, I put you on a mission. And your mission is to radically impact and change the world. And you can't do that if you're comfortable. God's raising up end-time warriors, I believe, who can stand. You see, we've, we've had the benefit of living a pretty easy life here in America in terms of Christianity. But I have a feeling things are going to change. The pressures we see worldwide are pressures that are coming to us. The people who really know how to stand are going to be evident. The people who know how to pray are going to be evident. They could hide in the past, but the days are coming when they can't hide anymore. They could hide over here, but there's coming a day when it's going to be evident. You just have to decide, am I willing to pay the price to follow after God? Jesus said, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So powerful is your sight that's constantly condemned by God. Lot's wife just looked back to Sodom, condemned. She wasn't worthy of the kingdom of God. I like it when it gets quiet. I like it when it gets quiet in my life when I'm reading the Bible and I'm all excited and then all of a sudden it gets quiet and I know God has got me right where he wants me. He's got me at the moment of transformation. Isn't that why we, isn't that why we do what we do? We want to be better, different people, not just religious followers of some religion called Christianity. Okay, here's a couple of life applications. Greatness in the kingdom is measured by surrender. I just got to surrender. If you would just say, God, I'm going to surrender all today, and then your first thought is, but what if I don't surrender tomorrow? Then you re-surrender. How about that? Well, I'm just going to surrender the rest of my life. That won't work. Because you know what? You're going to take some of it back. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. 
He knew what was in the heart of man. Here's a second life application. Singleness of focus is rewarded with the depth of presence. You focus on God, you're going to see the depth of the presence of God increase in your life. You're just going to say, wow, wow, I'm li- this is awesome. I'm living in the presence of God. I feel his hand. I know his heart, his love. I've, all, those, all that comes to me. Let's stand together. Would you just bow your heads with me? And I'm going to ask you to right now just to just to just go on a little journey with me, okay, of your imagination. I want you to imagine that standing in front, sitting in front of you is a vessel, a large pot. You can design it out of anything you want. It can be aluminum. It can be, it can be stainless. It can be ceramic. It can be wood. It doesn't matter. But you've got this large vessel in front of you, and I want in it. That vessel is your life, okay. Now, I want you, just because you're not going to be telling anybody this, just you, just you and God, I want you to look into that vessel and, and ask yourself, what do you see? What do you see that's getting in the way of the Spirit of God filling? If you look in there, what do you see? Do you see, do you see pride? Take it out. Just reach inside there and take it out. Take it out and, and lay it over at the foot of the cross. Okay, let's keep looking. Do you see, do you see a Bible in there? You say, well, is that a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. The problem is you're, it's the Bible for you represents what God didn't do for you. You have to take that version of the Bible out, and we're going to put the right one back in. You've been blaming God? Look in there, you see your parents. You've either worshiped them or you've blamed them. You've got to take them out of the vessel. Nothing can stay. You look in there and you see pornography. You've got to take it out. Unforgiveness. You see people's faces that you haven't forgiven, and you think you're really hurting them by keeping them in your life, but you're not. You're just hurting you. You're keeping the Spirit of God from filling. It's not an empty vessel. Just take them out. Just forgive them. Set them to the side. Now, I want you just to imagine the vessel's empty. It's you. You're the vessel. And all of a sudden, you see this giant flow of oil from heaven. It's pouring into your vessel. First, a few drops hit. Then it begins to fill up. You hear the sound. It's a roar. It's like a mighty roar. It's like a mighty wind that's coming into your vessel. It's filling it up. It's filling it up. It's reaching the top of the vessel, and all of a sudden it begins to flow over the top, and you now you understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God because everything is out of your life, and everything that's coming into your life is nothing but the Spirit of God and filling, and now your Bible looks different, and now your family looks different. Now your friends look different. Now your job looks different because you've seen them through the eyes of heaven. There's a divine flow of the Spirit of God. The room you're in, you see the the walls are just like waterfalls of oil coming down. You're surrounded by the Spirit. You're baptized in the Spirit. All around you is the Spirit of God. It begins to fill up, and you get a vision of just walking, and, and the soles of your feet are just, the oil is clinging to the soles of your feet in such a way that you, you just say, I am in the presence of Almighty God. 
And now you just bless the Lord. You bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord for the outpouring of his spirit in your life. Nothing remained. Now everything has come. In emptiness, you find fullness. In humility, you find joy. When it's all gone, the only thing that's left is the God of hope who's able to do exceedingly abundantly of all you could ever ask or could ever think. I'm going to ask you, as you just sense the Spirit of God moving in your heart, we want to pray for you. We want to just pray that God would just seal this. And, and we're just going to ask you to slip out from where you're standing or sitting right now. Just come to the front, and, and we're going to take you through a bit of an exercise in the, in the filling of the Spirit of God in your own life. Just come and just press in tight here. Just press in tight. I imagine that, that scene in heaven where it says there was that great throng of people that gathered before the throne of God, and everybody was trying to get as close as they could to Jesus. They were pressing in tight. They were rubbing shoulders with people they didn't know in life, but they know in heaven. And all were singing, worthy is a lamb, worthy is a lamb to receive power and glory and honor and praise. They sang a new song, one that they'd never sung before. It was a song of victory. It was a song of freedom. It was a song of life, a song of joy. We can sing that song right now. We can fill that today. I want you just, those of you who are standing here, I just want you to repeat this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I receive your spirit in all the fullness and all the power. I am an empty vessel desiring to be full. May the oil of your presence spread everywhere I go. May I be dynamic and a warrior for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the problems we face in life is isolation. It seems hard to believe you could live on a planet with six billion people and feel isolated, but we do. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take a minute and I want to break down a little bit of isolation for you. And I want to move you to community, okay? One minute's worth. That's all. You're standing around people, some of whom you don't know, you've never seen before. So what I'm going to do, and when I tell you in just a minute, I'm going to ask you just to turn around, see the people that you're standing next to and around, and somebody in that group, whether it's a group of one or five, just one person, just a short prayer for that group. Introduce yourself, shake their hands. If you want to tell them you love them, that's great. If you feel uncomfortable doing that, don't do it, okay? But I want you to experience a little bit of community right here, okay? So let's just do that, a little community exercise right now. Just turn. Just introduce yourself. Somebody just pray over that community group. You got a little community group going on right here. says how good it is when people dwell in unity 
is like oil that flows down from the beard of Aaron. Imagine that. Unity is connected with the oil of the Spirit. How good it is when we dwell in unity is like oil that flows down from the beard of Aaron the high priest. So much oil, the beard couldn't even contain it. Just kept flowing, kept flowing, kept flowing, kept flowing. Amen. Let me just bless you all now as you go out. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the oil of the Spirit anoint you with the tasks that God has given you. May you feel the fullness of the joy right now that comes from his Spirit. May you walk in truth and life, and may you influence your world for Jesus Christ. We give you praise. We thank you, God, in your name. And all the people said, amen. Hey, I want all of you to do me one favor. When you leave here today, before you leave the building, would you go by the prayer wall? Would you put a prayer request in the wall? And when you put your prayer request in there, would you also pray that God will use this, this filming we're going to do tomorrow for TBN? He will use it for a movement of prayer worldwide, that we become a center of prayer for a worldwide movement of prayer. Amen? Let's just pray that. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Go and be blessed.